0: Hello, welcome in to another episode of Teeing Off Podcast with me, your host, RJ McCullough. This is episode number 43, and today is Tuesday, August the 14th, halfway through August already. That's going quick. Got a lot to talk about today. Brooks winning the PGA for his third major title in seven attempts. Got to talk Tiger. He stole the show. Talk a little bit of the course and the fans and some of the other stuff from the PGA Championship. Uh, what else we got? We got... Go over the schedule the rest of the year. It is the final week of the PJ Tour season before the playoffs start. So we got a little bit of that. Who's on the bubble? And a preview this week's Wyndham Championship. I also talked with former PJ Tour golfer, Canadian Ian Leggett. He does a number of things now. So I talked, had a good chat with him. I'll play that. Uh, so let's just get started. Okay, yeah, first things first. Got to discuss Brooks. He, Brooks Kepka, went out and pretty handily won the uh, PGA championship for his third major in the last seven events, well, seven majors that he's played in. Um, It's a tough one because, as a big golf guy, and not even a big golf guy, I mean, this is the highest rated event we've seen in a long time, obviously because of Tiger. Watching Brooks was, it's sort of anticlimactic. I mean, he crushes the ball. He's hitting driver wedge into almost every single hole, even some of the par fives. So it's sort of boring to watch. Um, And he's just got a completely, the complete game, essentially, but he doesn't show any emotions. Uh, He's a bit of a whiner. I mean, complaining about um, not getting enough attention uh, in the media and such, and that, that gives him motivation. But then at the same time, this is the same guy that's turned down both the U.S. Open media tours that are granted to the guy that wins the U.S. Open, usually they, you know, they go do the late night tour. They are flown to New York. They go. They do the Empire State Building. They do a bunch of media outlets, a bunch of TV shows, this and that, show who their real personality is. So Brooks declined to do that both years, and I mean that's perfectly fine. He can do whatever he wants to do, but um, sort of hypocritical to be complaining about the media not giving you coverage when your best chance to get media coverage you turned down. Um, so. There's that, but uh, good good for Brooks, I guess. Um, not good for Brooks was the look that his girlfriend gave Tiger as she was walking off, or as he was walking off after his round. He gives her a hug, congratulates her on on Brooks winning. It looks like, and then she just stares him down, gives him, and gives that little like uh, high school girl kind of like uh, giddy laugh as she's looking like down and then up right at Tiger. I mean, you know the cameras are going to be on you when any time Tiger Woods is near, especially when you're, I'm not sure if they're just dating or if they're a fiance or whatever the case may be, but come on, you know the cameras are going to be on you after Brooks wins, especially when Tiger's walking by and you give Tiger that look. Whew. I mean, I don't know how I would feel if I was Brooks. You just, you just won the uh, PGA, second major of the year, but uh, I don't know. She's uh, your girl looking at Tiger there quite a bit. Regardless, though, good win for Brooks. I'm torn on him. As the play was going, I mean, every single shot he hits, I'm rooting for him to completely screw it up. And also because I don't like Brooks Kepka. I actually, if Tiger wasn't in the mix, I probably would have been rooting for Brooks. It's just that when Tiger's in the mix, and we haven't seen it for a while, I mean, we did see it at Carnoustie, but this was different. This was different. And uh, I was rooting against everyone and everyone, but Brooks the hardest. And so in hindsight, I mean, good for him. I don't dislike the guy. But uh, it was certainly hard for, to root for him, and especially when he just doesn't show any emotion. And, I mean, he's a good-looking guy. He's huge. Like, he's a man rocket, and he's massive. When he swings a club, um, I've said this before, but it literally looks like he's just got a twig in his hands. like the, the club just looks tiny when he swings it. Um, so th- there is enough there to be an, an exciting golfer, but he just doesn't... Uh, He just doesn't bring it in terms of, it's almost like Dustin Johnson, but Dustin Johnson doesn't seem to give a shit. Whereas Kepka obviously does, because he said it motivates him. So, I don't really have much more to add on Brooks. Congrats on the win, but uh, if he, Ian Leggett actually touched on it in our conversation. If he's complaining about not getting enough media attention, especially when Tiger Woods is the guy that comes second, I mean, you're going to be complaining for the rest of your career, because that's going to happen every single time if Tiger Woods is in the field. Moving on to Tiger. I haven't. I mean, I thought I dialed the clock back, watching Tiger in the hunt at Carnoustie about a month ago at the British Open. But this was just. I mean, I there was a period of time for. I don't know, at least two hours where I did not sit down. I was standing. I was pacing. I was annoying every. I was annoying my girlfriend. I was annoying my dog. Anyone in the room with me, I was just so excited. So excited with every single everything. I mean. Going through Tiger's round, like, I can remember every single <laughs> shot he hit, every single close call, every, oh, it was just absolutely incredible. I mean, he goes the front nine, that putt on one, first of all, he got robbed there. The, even the announcers was saying, okay, this looks like it's, if anything, it's left edge, it should break a tad right. He hits it inside the left edge of the hole. It's going dead center. In the last second, it darts left. It makes no sense. So That's one stroke there it was the 11th hole. Tiger had that long putt for birdie that just hung on the lip. It really, it was really reminiscent of the uh, Augusta 16th, his Nike. um, In your life, have you seen anything like that? It was very similar to that, except this time the ball didn't actually roll over and go in the damn hole. So, I mean, those two shots right there, and then you put in the 17th, the par five. um, If he birdies that, those three shots, that's the win right there. I mean, Brooks missed a couple putts too. Let's not forget that, but uh, it was definitely there for Tiger to be had. Um... I got I to gotta talk about that entrance he had, though. Holy. I, I think it's, I mean, I'm biased, but I think it's the, the greatest entrance in the history of sports. And this is considering, yes, baseball players literally have walk-up music. Wrestlers, I don't know if you can say that sport, but they literally have entrance music. Uh, other sports, they get co- announced onto the field. Golf, you don't really get announced except on the first tee, but that's just from Windermere, Florida. Blah, 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 you know, so that's nothing really. This, I mean, Tiger walking in, red shirt, black pants, the Nike hat on backwards, the sunglasses. He's walking in. He's got the look. Oh man, I mean, whew, getting a little, getting a little excited just thinking about it. I'm gonna have to. Jeez, uh, that was that was something. Our Twitter was just going nuts, like Tiger by a billion. I mean, that was that was great. I love that. I hope he just makes that his new thing. Um, <laughs> one of the funnier ones, I don't know if if, if you guys watch The Office, uh, I saw a couple of people saying, <laughs> it's Date Mike, and that was, it's Date Tiger, that, I can't remember anything, anything like saying uh, that, that was, that just made my day, the set, from that moment until the moment he walked off 18, I was just, oh, just so hooked, and I mean, that uh, if you go back to Thursday after after Tiger's opening, he has plus three through two holes to start the tournament. He's coming off that bad finish um, previous where he, at, the, at Carnoustie, um, it really looked like it was going to be a quick week for Tiger, but 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 he turned it around real quick. Um, somehow that that even power round on the first day was about as impressive a round as the senior t- Tiger shoot, except for Sunday. Um, to get out of their even power on that first day, stay in the tournament was huge. And then that front nine on Sunday is going to be something that is one. It was even one of those times where as you're watching it, you're, you're thinking like, wow, this is something special. This is something different. He misses all seven fairways. He goes three under. He's just carving shots out of the trees. He's sinking putts. He's fist pumping. He's getting the crowd going. Oh, my God. What a day. What a week. I mean, that's... That's as good as golf gets. That's that's as good as we've seen it in a long time, and uh, it does suck that we're not going to get another major for a long time. But that was just what a day. I can't, I can't go ten minutes without thinking about that. That feeling when Tiger's in the hunt. Oh, like up until he hit that drive on seventeen, it, like it, it looked like he could actually still do it. And my god, that was just the most impressive thing. And then he he makes a really good par, actually on seventeen, and then that. Although it didn't matter at the time he people are kind of complaining, why did Tiger have the huge fist pump in 18? Well, you never know what's gonna happen behind you. That was to be solo second with Adam Scott tied with him at the time. But if Brooks does something crazy ahead, I mean that birdie would have been the the tournament winner. So just seeing Tiger draining a birdie on the 18th and dropping that huge fist pump, I mean, <sighs> I just I just loved it. I loved everything about it. That was an amazing day. Obviously disappointing that Tiger couldn't get the win, but we got every single thing out of that day that we wanted to, except for Tiger winning. And I think golf fans and non-golf fans alike can can sort of bond over just watching Tiger. There's nothing. people, Kids that grew up uh, in the last, you know, kids that were born past, like, I don't know, 95, maybe even after 2000, they've never really seen a Tiger day like this. And this, this was bringing it back. I mean, if he could have made one or two more putts and won the thing, I can't even, I don't even know what happened. Those, those fans are going crazy. But it's coming. It's coming. If you can tell, Tiger didn't even play that good. And he shot that score. He finished solo second, sixth at the British. He's had a bunch of top fives, a bunch of top tens this year. So it's coming. It is coming. I do briefly want to talk about the course and the fans. The course got a lot of flack. Uh, It was a pretty boring course in the sense that you just bomb it straight, hit it as far and as straight as you can, hit it as close to the hole, make as many putts as you can. Pretty simple course, I guess. Um, The heat was just unbearable, it seemed like. But the saving grace of the entire thing had to be the fans. I mean, the fans were absolutely incredible. I'm not one to give praise to the fans usually because I like to... I'm sort of a homer with stuff like that. I, I always like to... I mean, when it's a Canadian Open, I'll look at the fans and be like, oh, look at all those fans. Um, but when it's any other event, I was kind of, oh, you know, it's it's a big event or Tiger's there or whatever. This was this was something else. This was like Ryder Cup week fans. And the interesting thing is the fans were really loud. They were really into it. But they weren't disrespectful. You I mean, there was a few guys who were good in the hole, but there was no yelling and backswings. There was no... Nothing crazy, no incidents or anything, no no players complaining about people being way too drunk and anything like that. So uh, props to the fans in St. Louis. They they were not going to let this event not be a success. And, I mean, we saw with the leaderboard, we saw with the crowd, we saw just with the ratings, everything. Um, props to St. Louis because they really they salvaged this one. They, it was an incredible PGA. It's going to go down in the memories for sure. Um, there was one moment that I wanted to point out. The... Uh, Matt Wallace hole one. <laughs> this is hilarious. I'm gonna put the audio in. To 16. Good call, Jim. This is Mike Wallace. Vern Lundquist. I mean. So Matt Wallace is uh. Not a very well known English golf, English pro. Uh, he gets a hole in one, massive crowds. He's going nuts. He's playing with Jordan Spieth. First surprising thing, he takes the ball and throws it into the crowd. I mean, you got to keep that ball. Um, but the best part is Vern Lundquist just completely sabotaging this guy's name. And it's the easiest name in the world Matt Wallace, Mike Wallace on the tee. <laughs> So that was pretty great. He uh, poked fun at himself on Twitter and about the whole the way the whole thing was handled. And Vern, I mean, is an old man. It's gonna happen. It's just that's gotta suck. The one time you get on TV and they butcher your name, the easiest name <laughs> in the world. So good for uh, Mad the way he handled it. But that that was a good moment. Um, one last thing on the PGA. Oh, actually, sorry, two last little quick things. One, the uh, the date is changing next year. It's going to be in May. So now there's gonna be the Masters in May, April. PGA in May, U.S. Open in June, British in July, uh, I think they're gonna move the playoffs up, so they want to get everything done before football starts uh, Makes sense, and uh, the major venues for next year are really special. We got obviously Augusta We got Beth Paid Black hosting the PGA, which is gonna be incredible um, Talking about crowds, I mean the crowds in O2 and Tiger, it's probably the best Tiger-Phil duel we've had uh, They had one at Doral once, but uh, this this, uh, in terms of a major, this was definitely the best Tiger-Phil duel uh, back in '02, and the crowds were just borderline too far. I mean, they went pretty far with some of the Sergio stuff, but in terms of Tiger-Phil roars, it was, it was nuts. So I'm really looking forward to that. And then the US Open got Pebble Beach, and that's the best US Open venue is Pebble Beach. So hopefully Tiger uh, can string another win together at at least one of those courses. And then the uh, British is at Royal Port Rush in Ireland, where it hasn't been since 1951, I believe. So, uh, no one's going to have any, you know, advantage there, really. So, great slate of majors, major courses next year. Uh, things are looking good for Tiger, that is for sure. And the one last thing I want to mention about the um, PGA Championship. What was CBS doing with that putting line? It was like they were trying to do the Tiger Tracker, the, the Tiger's Eye, or whatever it's called from the Tiger video games. But even that was just one line that would show you the exact line of the putt. This, they had... One line that would show you, if the putt were straight, essentially, it's just a straight line between where the ball was and the hole, which is sort of irrelevant because if the putt's not straight, I mean, I guess it shows how much it breaks, but, I mean, we can see where the hole is. And then the second line was, if you were to hit it, like, perfect weight, perfect weight, the break that you would need to take. So maybe it's good to see, at first, before a guy putts, sort of what the putt's going to do. But once the putt's rolling there was no way to tell if it was going in or if it wasn't because it could be anywhere inside this line, these two lines, and it could have a chance of going in, but it also could be going too fast or too slow for that specific line and pace. So it was really not helpful. And then sometimes there would be where it would be like a long putt so the cameraman would start zooming in and then the line would just get all thrown off. Um, Good idea, I guess. Just needs to be fine-tuned. Debuting it in a major, not a fan of that. Um... It's tough because I mean Fox sports when they came in with the US Open they they really were the ones that pushed the the shot tracker which has become I mean you can't even watch golf now without the shot tracker when they when they show tiger or someone hitting an iron shot and they don't have a shot tracker I'm I'm totally lost I want to know the ball flight I want to know where it is and not only that but now they're putting like the pin they show you where the pin is too so you can kind of you can kind of do like what you're doing when you're when you're golfing yourself When you hit a shot you can kind of check the flag check the ball in the air and kind of see what where how online it is, you can kind of do that now watching TV. And that's pretty incredible. So CBS trying to, uh, I guess they're just trying to find the that version for putting. But uh, swing and a miss, in my opinion. Right now I'm going to play my interview that I had with PJ Tour winner and Canadian and this and that. He's done a whole bunch of things. We talked about it all in the conversation. I had a good chat with Ian Leggett. So I'm now joined by Ian Leggett. Ian is does a lot of things. He's a former professional golfer. He is the director of golf at Summit. He's a Sportsnet broadcaster. And I'm going to start with, you had a charity event yesterday, STS at the Summit. Um, the tagline is Stomp the Stigma. Do you want to tell me a little bit about what that is?
1: Yeah, it's an event that I started uh, four years ago. So this was the fourth year we, we've done it, and it's... Uh It's there to start and open up the dialogue with with suicide prevention. Uh, One of my members' uh, sons had had, uh, taken his life by suicide uh, four years ago and it was an area that um, is very important to me. Uh, Having my own mental health issues of the past as well is, is, is trying to implement some change. I think now it's even becoming more relevant with you know, the Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan conversations that are out in public and, uh, and it's really become an epidemic with, with a lot of kids and the pressures that they go through day to day. Um, and so we started this event to implement change and raise uh, some money to create some platforms that can open the dialogue with uh, suicide prevention.
0: Okay, that's wonderful. I personally suffer from mental health, so it's, it sort of hits close to home. Uh, you mentioned that it's something that affects you too as well. Was this something that you've always sort of dealt with or, or sort of after your career? Or if it was something you've been dealing with for a while, how did it affect you during your professional golf career?
1: Well, I think it just affected my life, not necessarily my career. I think from a certain standpoint, I mean, the golf course was a place for me to um it was safe i grew up in a, an abusive childhood and uh, and i just it, golf course was a safe place for me so dealing with the impact of that and pushing it aside for so many years i i think it had affected me in ways i wasn't really necessarily aware of and i think this is the issue with a lot of people that deal with you know potential suicide thoughts and and mental health issues and they, they, you know, they don't want to speak about it. There's, there's an element of shame to it. There's an element of um, fear. Uh, I think that, uh, and obviously there's an enormous amount of pain. You just don't deal with it. So uh, for me personally, I think it's just affected my life, not necessarily my career.
0: Okay. Do you know of any, I mean, you don't have to name names, but do you know, know of any professional athletes um, or professional golfers more specifically that do suffer from this. I know you mentioned Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan. They've sort of been the first to come out with it.
1: Yeah, we had, you know, obviously the, it's been well-documented with Corey Hirsch. I had him at, at my event yesterday. He got up and, and spoke, you know, here he was on the verge of winning the Stanley Cup, playing for the New York Rangers and was standing, you know, on top of, you know, the Empire State Building. And, and his thoughts were of, of jumping, Um, so, and just six months ago, his girlfriend had died by suicide. So he's been directly impacted. So it's out there and it's, I think it's going to become more and more relevant. I think in the conversation, the more we dig into athletes, especially around hockey and football, when we talk about concussion issues, I think that that's going to become something that needs to be addressed and being diagnosed and, Um, the more impact that that has on the athlete, the more, you know, guys are going to be more willing to speak about it. And when you talk about, especially men in sports, the last thing they want to do is show any element of weakness. And this is an area that, you know, guys have got to start speaking out about because, you know, it can impact the direction of a kid. You know, you're, you talk about what you do on the field or on the ice or, you know, on the golf course, wherever it may be, is your your heroes and two young kids. And I think when kids are struggling, you can be a hero in a different area rather than your talent that you show on the field or the ice or the court. And I think that uh, the more athletes that speak out about the issues that they're struggling with can directly change the direction of a of a child's life.
0: Right. Um, well, thank you for doing that. It's really uh it's really important, and uh, it is a conversation that's just starting to kind of grow now, so it's nice to see uh, people like yourself getting involved in it. Uh, how, how would people get involved? How would people find out about it for next year's event?
1: Well, you can go to KBT Foundation and, and to stomp the stigma at the summit as well. They're both uh, tagged on Twitter, so we, we'll announce it. It's it's uh, always going to, to be on the same date, on the Monday in August, so... Um, and it's, you know, like I said, it's grown quite significantly. The social media behind it because of the amount of celebrities that have gotten behind this event is also starting to grow in the conversations that they're having. So um, you can go to the Kyle Brandon Travis Foundation and, and donate uh, um, funds through that as well and uh, on the day of as well.
0: Okay. And that's hosted at Summit where you're the director of golf, correct? Yes. Okay, so I was just looking up, so number 33 in Canada. Um, so what is your job as director of golf? What does that entail? And um, how is the course sort of, under your tutelage, how's the course sort of, uh, what have you seen? Well, um, yeah, I run all aspects of the golf
1: club, the director of golf and the general manager. So, you know, when I started here, I recognized the potential of some, as even as old as a golf club is 106 years old. I the it's just an amazing piece of property a stanley thompson design and uh it's had touches uh, from doug carrick over the years and it was just not well maintained it was not looked after and i think that you know when you have a golf course that long i don't think the members realize the potential that this place could have so it's been there's been some pain to get it where it is today and When I started here, it was 80th in the rankings and and continuing to slide. So we've made significant impact on, you know, how we're ranked and perceived in Canada. And our goal, my goal, personal goal, is I think it's a top 20 or 25 golf course in the country. You know, and, you know, conditioning is going to help that, you know, changing some. Uh, whole design is going to help that as well, but uh, in my opinion, it's a top twenty golf course in the country, and we keep pushing toward achieving
0: that. Great. Um, what would you say is the best and the worst part of your job?
1: Um, I think the you I mean I think sometimes the best part is you know enjoying the membership. It's a membership that loves the game of golf. I enjoy the interaction and being connected to the sport in the way I am. It's obviously much different than playing on the PGA Tour, but I I love the passion that people have for the game of golf. Uh, um, People love the game. They love the summit golf club. And I I enjoy the conversations I have when they hit a great shot or they have a great round of golf or the comments of, you know, the things that we're doing here to improve uh, the venue that they get to enjoy every single day. Uh, The difficult part is, you know, you know, for me, it's not, doesn't happen fast enough. I wish you know, we're, we're doing things very quickly around here, but when you're dealing with grass and turf and, you know, seasonal issues, that's the difficult thing that I'm, you know, having to be patient in, in how we address the changes that we make. Uh, I'm a kind of person who wants to get it done, you know, as quickly as possible. So that, that's always difficult is, is my, you know, patience level on trying to make change.
0: Well, after hearing, I got to play this course. I missed the uh, Golf Journalists Association of Canada. I missed the round there that day. Um, so, if, if I name drop you, I, can I, I? know it's private. If I name drop you, do you think they'll let me uh, let me on?
1: Yeah, you might be able to sneak out. Yeah. <laughs> too,
0: I um, so I want to move over a little bit. I'm. I also work at Sportsnet. Um, you obviously do the, most of the golf uh, broadcasting on air here with Sportsnet. How did that come about? Are you friends with Bob McCowan, or like, how did that start? it actually started
1: when i moved back to canada i was after i played on the PJ tour i was working for a company uh running the business in canada called uh wasserman media group which has now just become wasserman they're in a very large uh sports management and sports cons- consulting business and i went to work for them running their golf business in canada and trying to grow that and with that keith pelly is a very good friend of mine and they didn't have a golf insider. Um, so it ended up being that I, I, you know, he, Keith asked me to come in and see how this would work out and it turned out, uh, you know, now it's been six years, I think six or seven years. Now I've been involved as the, you know, golf analyst for sports and the fan. So I really enjoy it. It's been a wonderful experience. I, you know, love being on with Bob. We have a great, uh, uh, banter with each other because we're both love the game of golf and passionate about it. I love playing golf with Bob and, um, and doing the golf show every Saturday morning with Scott McCowan is a lot of fun. Uh, he equally is passionate about the game of golf. And, um, you know, I love to hear the people that are listening to the show when they're driving to the course on Saturday morning and whatever information tidbits, I get to pull some of my tour player friends in and my golf relationship that add some value to the show. So it's been a lot of fun.
0: Awesome. Um, you, I, I'm going to go ahead and assume you've golfed with a lot of the people that that work here at Sportsnet. So, can you give me uh, some details on b- the games of Bob McCowan, Scott Moore, and or Nick Kiprios? <laughs> I haven't played with Scott Moore, so I'm not really sure. I played with Bob
1: quite a few times, and Bob loves the game. He's 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 a good player. He actually plays nicely. He's a, Drives the ball well, he's a good putter, and he's you know he was a very good player at one time, so that's still inside of him, even though he doesn't you know play a whole lot anymore so he still gets out a fair amount, but not obviously to maintaining a single digit handicap or low single digit handicap. Bob can still break eighty um I played with Kipper a couple times. Kipper's not a bad little player, so um I'm trying to think of probably the best player on the broadcast side uh, of it that i've played with um, um not a lot actually <laughs> <laughs> nice. uh but you know it's great especially the hockey guys i mean i get to play with a lot of hockey players and have in the past over year because it, it kind of falls in line with being able to play golf when they're off in the summer and so golf's a pretty big passion for a lot of uh hockey players
0: yeah um I want to move on to the PGA Championship cuz I'm still kind of coming down from that uh Tiger <laughs> that what a day. First of all, have you ever seen anyone enter a golf course the way Tiger did with the, that backwards hat and <laughs> yeah. sunglasses? Yeah. Like that was something else, wasn't it? Yeah, I think that's pretty common for him actually.
1: Yeah, that of uh, uh, you know, he he's a pretty, you know, kind of hip cool guy, so it did have a it did have a you know a little bit of a statement, a little mission statement as he is walking in like that, but uh I think that you know we're seeing the evolution of Tiger Wood's comeback getting closer and closer to what he looked like in two thousand. The only issue with that is you know I think players that are playing you know like Tiger did in two thousand are playing like that now. So I think he's on a very level playing field right now with, with the Brooks Kepka and Dustin Johnson's Jordan's piece of the world. I think that the playing ground is, is very, even back in 2000, it wasn't, it wasn't fair uh, just by the way that he was able to play the game and dominate the game and really influence the play of other players because he was such a dominant player. And, um, you know, I was, you know, guys on tour used to kind of kid around, you're going to the tee on Sunday with Tiger Woods. It's a two-shot penalty, mm-hmm. not not necessarily because of him, but because of the crowds that were out there that were really in support of watching him play. He was really the, you know, ultimate rock star of the PGA Tour. There was Everybody was there to see him, and everybody was the opening act. So it was very difficult at times to play in that environment.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you about those crowds. Actually, were were those like? Did that was that reminiscent of the type of crowds you'd see back in the two thousand, like ninety nine to two thousand three sort of time period? Or was well, that, I, th- I think you?
1: Sort of, sorry, I ahead. think you see it a little differently around major championships. Obviously, yesterday or uh, sorry, Sunday was was an anomaly. I think, but that was normal. I mean, that was normal of a major championship. I think that you know I played with Tiger probably ten times on the PGA Tour and. I remember we had a rain delay for his first comeback after his first knee surgery that he had at at Torrey Pines. And, you know, we had a two-hour rain delay before we teed off. So by the time we got there and we were ready to tee off, it was probably 2 o'clock or something in the afternoon. And the crowd was pretty pent up. And, you know, it was five deep all the way down from the tee box surrounding the green um so that was every single hole yesterday um and that's what the majors looked like every single time tiger had a chance to win so i think we're seeing that now we're see- because i think we missed it for a while we haven't seen that when you know any other player was out there you know playing and and nobody's out there somebody asked me that the other day who's the next tiger woods nobody I don't care if Dustin Johnson wins every single major from now until the next ten years. he doesn't have the personality or the draw that Tiger Woods had for the game, you know, being, you know, African-American and coming from the background he got he he's a touch point on so many people that never watched golf before and he's doing it again. And, uh, you know, people watch Tiger Woods that don't play golf and there's no other player on the PGA tour that does that. And, He's a generational player, and I relate him to Muhammad Ali. You know, people watch boxing not because they want to see Muhammad Ali punch somebody; they just wanted to see Muhammad Ali, and that's Tiger Woods.
0: Right. Okay, interesting. Uh, do you, after watching him, you said he was kind of slowly getting back to where he was. Um, do you, do you see it anything more than just his driver that he needs to fix?
1: Well, Tiger Woods never drove the ball well, so I think what we saw on Sunday was the Tiger Woods that we used to see. So don't don't put the precedence on him driving it in the fairway because he never did that very well in 2000 he had a period where he drove the ball incredibly well what Tiger Woods does is what he did on Sunday is his creativity his shot making um, his ability to hit incredible shots and then close it out by holing putts that's Tiger Woods and that's what he he was doing on that front nine on Sunday which is exactly what Tiger Woods looked like in 2000 so Um, you know, in that 10 year period, he drove it all over the place and, and still, you know, was able to win golf tournaments. So Tiger Woods, if he ever starts driving it in the fairway, then we are going to see that period of time. It was about a four month period where he drove the ball exceptionally well. And that's why, you know, he's winning major championships by 10 shots. So if that happens, well, then we're going to see a, a, a back to an unlevel playing field, but what we saw was a guy being able to pull off those incredible golf shots that we used to see all the time.
0: You're getting me excited. I'm a huge Tiger guy. That's exactly <laughs> what I wanted to hear. What do you think about uh, I can't not touch on Brooks Kepka. What do you think of his dominance? He's sort of, he's won three majors now in the last seven, and he, all three, he's just sort of, it's just he's made it look so easy. He's just taking sort of the, obviously there was a lot of drama over the weekend, but he sort of takes a little bit of the excitement out of it, but he just plays so simple.
1: Well he's got he's got an incredible confidence in himself which you need and I don't think he's at all affected by what happens around him. And Dustin Johnson's a little bit like that too. Um and I think this comes from being an athlete first and a golfer second. I think he's got that, you know, closer mentality um where he just knows what he he knows what he can do and he doesn't play outside of that. And that's what happens with a lot of guys when you see guys that have an opportunity to win a golf tournament and they go out there and shoot 75 or 76 or whatever, it doesn't look anything like the first three days. All of a sudden, everything about them changes. Their personality changes, their routine changes, they either get slower or faster. And Brooks Koepka just goes about his business. He knows who he is on the golf course. He's a guy who hits it 340 yards. He's a very good putter. And if you can keep it between the posts, most of the time he knows he has a chance to win the golf tournament and he just goes out and plays that way. Um, and he doesn't try to be anybody he's not. And this is why he's so successful. He had that when he started and he talked about it many times before he won um, or sorry, after he won his first U S open, he talked about how many times he thought he should have won and how disappointed he was in himself. That's the kind of guy that's probably going to be around for a long time. Now, the key to Brooks Kepka is being able to stay healthy and him not changing himself, not necessarily his game, but himself, which we see a lot of times when guys get a lot of success on the PGA Tour, start making an incredible amount of money, and they become a different person off the course. Tiger Woods is who he was. Jack Nicklaus is who he was. Hogan is who they were because they were dedicated to the game. Uh, we'll have to see if Brooks Kepka can remain that way.
0: Interesting. Uh, what do you make of Brooks, there's a little bit, of some journalists are writing stories about how uh, he feels sort of slighted, he uses it as motivation that he doesn't get the coverage that he feels he deserves, but at the same time, both times he's won the US Open, he's declined to go on the sort of US Open media tour, where you go on like the late night shows and all that stuff, and he's a bit of a boring interview as it is, so what do you make of that, him saying he takes motivation from that?
1: Well, he can do whatever he wants. I mean, he's going to have to deal with that as long as Tiger Woods is out there because I I mean, that's just the nature of the business. I mean, I don't think that, uh, you know, Scottie Pippen ever looked at Michael Jordan as stealing any, you know, media time from him, and that's just the nature of it. Brooks Kepka is who he is, and he's making the money is because of Tiger Woods. If the TV camera doesn't want to put it on Brooks Kepka because – you know they find him a boring player. I mean, you call him boring. He hits at 350. I mean, it is an element of boring because he. You know, if Jordan Spieth could hit at 350 yards, people would watch that. Mm-hmm. That's the way Tiger Woods, uh, you know, sort of plays the game. There's a passion. There's an excitement to the game and the way that he plays fearlessly and, you know, it, it draws people in. Brooks Kepka the way he plays the game, doesn't draw people in. And when you're selling media time, they're going to focus on the one person that people want to view, or they're going to turn their televisions off. So um, Brooks Koepka is going to have to deal with that for as long as Tiger Woods is playing beside him on the PGA Tour. But if he's that for motivation, he's going to be motivated for an awful long time because his, the way that he plays the game is not that exciting to people to watch.
0: Interesting, that's well put. Uh, so I want to touch on the Canadian Open real quick and then uh, ask you a few quick questions about your career and then I'll let you go. Um, so the Canadian Open, potentially the last, probably the last Open at, at Glen Abbey and DJ won pretty convincingly. Do you have any thoughts on uh, that Open?
1: Well I think it was a great Open, I, you know, and I'm not a big Glen Abbey fan and I think this event should be moved around the country as a national Open. Um, and I think that it's it, now it will, um, I, I'm not, uh, fold uh, twofold reasons why I'm not a Glen Abbey fan. And uh, I never was a Glen Abbey fan primarily because of the venue. I mean, I don't, we have so many great golf courses in Canada that we could showcase the game of golf, which would help grow the game. And I'm talking about circa 1990, not anything before when, you know, we had Lee Trevino and Jack Nicholas and, you know, Bruce Slitsky and Nick Price. And, you know, the best players in the world were playing the Canadian Open. Now it's not necessarily that way. It's become a you know a if you want to call it a B event on the PJ Tour. The new schedule date is going to change this for sure, which is going to be amazing for RBC and the Canadian Open. Um and secondly we we have a guy that owns a venue that is closing golf courses around the country to build developments on it and we're having an event at his uh uh you know one of his golf courses and i don't see the reason why we should support that we're trying to grow the game of golf and we have a guy that is buying golf courses for developments and um and i'm fine with that from a business standpoint but if we're going to support the game of golf and grow the game of golf that's not the direction i want to uh, be going in, in, in Canada. So like I said, we've got so many great venues. Hamilton is a, a spectacular venue for 2019 and going forward. Let's see where this goes. But I know when I played on the PGA tour, the players loved playing at Hamilton. They loved playing at Shaughnessy players on the PGA tour love old classic golf courses. And I think that the direction that we're about to go is going to be great for the game of golf and the Canadian open
0: with the date change do you have uh for lack of a better term a canadian open wish list like are there any players you would like to come? are there any specific things you'd like to see changed or just general wish list
1: well i i think number one i think we want the top 50 players in the world there that's not going to happen i mean it's just it's all rel- re- related to or relative to the player schedule and how they prepare for major championships but we can't get a better date on the schedule than what we did. And I'm talking about attracting the best players in the world in the summertime. Obviously an event, you know, in a better date for us personally would be something, you know, um, from a quality of field standpoint, but that would remove the open status would be a FedEx date. Obviously we could do that in Canada or we can't have a date in January or February, obviously, which would, would increase the, The quality of field but when you talk about the week before the uh, the u.s open the canadian opens in in as good a position as it can be and on the schedule so for me having you know a good uh you know uh portion of the top 50 players in the world here but we're not going to get tiger woods tiger woods doesn't play the week before the u.s open so unless he changes his scheduling and how he prepares for major championships but we're going to get Phil Mickelson, we're very likely to get Roy McIlroy, we're always going to get Dustin Johnson, these are the kind of guys that like to play the week before a major championship, so we'll see, the quality of the field is going to increase, we'll just have to see exactly who those players are.
0: Well, I can't wait for that. Do you know, do you have any, do you know if the the TB rights for the Open are up at all in the next few years? Oh, uh, well, it's not
1: necessarily the Open, it's the PGA Tour rights is where that oh, falls under, okay. so yeah, so with Sportsnet they would have to uh you know, go in there and negotiate to own those rights. I believe right now it's it's uh the the rights are laying with with T S N and, and Global for the global for the last year, I believe. So I'm not sure where we stand. Obviously that would be a Scott Moore conversation on what we want to, to do at Sportsnet, but that I mean From a sporting platform owning hockey and golf in this country, I mean, the two most played sports would be dominating to um, our broadcast coverage for sure, which I'd be more than happy with.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I would love that as well. It'd be good for our careers. Uh, Okay, so I want to touch on your career real quick. You had two pro wins, one on the web, one on the PGA Tour. What's that feeling like just sinking a putt to win a tournament? That's got to be the best feeling in the world.
1: Yeah, it is because I mean, guys on the PJ tour, that you spend your lives, you know, working toward a goal like that. You put hours and hours and hours in. And I think uh, for me, my goal was never to play on the PJ tour; it was to win on the PJ tour. So, and you go through so many ups and downs, and you reflect on that after you finally accomplish a goal like that. You think of the moments where you're, you know, potentially going to quit the game or thought it would never happen. So, I, I think there, you know. I, I think it was Bruce Litsky had said, you know, you spend, you know, the majority of your, if, if you play golf to win, you spend the majority of your life, um, losing. And that means you, you are unsatisfied. So when you finally win on the PJ tour, there's definitely an element of satisfaction that all this has come to, uh, to fruition of all the hard work you put in.
0: Right. Who did you, um, grow up idolizing? Who was your favorite player?
1: I was always a a Ben Hogan fan. Uh, Tom Watson and Seve Ballesteros would have been my three favorite players. And uh, I just, uh, for me growing up as a kid, you know, Tom Watson was was it. As I got into the game and looked at who Ben Hogan was and the way that he approached and his work ethic resonated with me and the passion and the, you know, Seve Ballesteros was sort of the Tiger Woods of his era. Um, and the way that he played the game and the way he looked and dressed and, you know, just, uh, you know, stalked down a golf course. It was, uh, you know, he, he was one of those guys you just couldn't take your eyes off of. So those three players were, were my idols growing up.
0: That, but that front nine from Tiger on Sunday was pretty savvy-like, not hitting a fairway. <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah. Um, so you, according to the Internet, you, you, your pro career spanned basically 20 years from 1990 to 2009. So you sort of came in at the tail end of, very tail end of Jack's career and then obviously saw Tiger's whole emergence. Can you sort of, uh, I know you could probably talk about this all day, but could you sort of compare and contrast the two like their games and then just the sort of like circus around them on the tour?
1: Um, I, I didn't really get to play a whole lot with, with, with Jack Nicholas. I mean, he was sort of retiring you know, when I when I came out, he played the odd event here and there, but um, I, I don't know if you can compare the two from the way they played the game. I think you can compare the, the two the way they were able to close golf, golf tournaments off. I mean, the only thing that's comparable, if it ever happens to Tiger Woods in the way that he, um, you, you know, we talk about major championships and you look at Jack Nicklaus's record. I'm talking about just look at how he dominated the game. Tiger Woods is not dominating the game and will not dominate the game the way Jack Nicklaus did. He won 18 majors, but when you look at the span of his career and how he finished in tournaments, the tournaments he didn't win, the majors he didn't win, and you look at that record is unbelievable. It just blows your mind just, you know, look at the, you know, the last 20, you know, a span of say 75 to 85 or, you know, 65 to 80 of his finishes at the British Open, it's just jaw dropping. Um, he may have only won three or four of them, but he finished second five times and third six times. It was, it's just unbelievable the way that he dominated the game and, uh, and I think that's how you have to look at it. And you know, Jack Nicholas was the most dominant player of his era. And you know, we're gonna compare Tiger Woods and Jack Nicholas to the amount of majors won, but. When you look at a record um, of finishes, Jack Nicholas is the greatest player that's ever played the game.
0: Yeah, I remember seeing uh, a screenshot of just the on Wikipedia. They showed the majors uh, finishes and majors, and Jack Nicholas. Yeah, there's yeah, there's like a ten period, ten year period there where it was just absolutely insane. Like if he wasn't winning, he was coming second, third, fourth, just just ridiculous. What would you say? Yeah, it's the, incredible. What would you say? Were the biggest changes on tour since? I mean, distance would. I assume distance and technology be number one, but the biggest changes on tour since that uh, mid '90s, early '2000s time period.
1: Well, I think the biggest change is fitness. I mean that 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 is the biggest change. I think the the distance is being impacted by fitness. That's the big thing. When you look at the prototypical player nowadays, you are going to continue to see Brooks Kepkas and Dustin Johnson's and Ricky Fowles and Jason Day's, and this is the prototypical player we're going to see. We're not going to see any more Tim Herons or, you know, Craig Stadler's on the PJ Tour. You just can't compete. Um, uh, A lot of guys are coming in, as I said earlier, these guys are coming in as athletes first and golfers second. And when you put, you know, power and speed together um, in in a body, then you're going to get guys that are hitting at 325 yards plus. And this is going to continue to be a game because it's such a dominating asset in the game of golf right now Um, how they figure that out and drawing it back to be able to challenge every aspect of your game um, we'll have to wait and see how what happens there but right now there is absolutely next to zero precedence in driving the golf ball in the fairway on the pga tour and that should be an aspect of the game but when you're talking about 450 or 475 yard par fours which are you know long enough, and guys are hitting sand wedges and wedges in there, but are hitting at 3:30 and driving in the rough. It's a lot easier to hit a wedge out of the rough than it is a five iron. So when you're that used to be the difficulty, and there was such a huge precedence in driving in the fairway. So you know, fitness, speed, and power are the, the 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 biggest elements of change on the PGA Tour.
0: Is there any way to sort of get around that? there are a lot of guys that don't like that it's sort of that bomb and gouge. Is there any way around that? Or is that that's just the way it's
1: Well, going? I think, I mean, there's obviously the conversation of scaling back the ball and, and making the ball go shorter. So I don't know if that's going to happen or not. We'll wait and see where that one lies. Uh, obviously, narrowing fairways in, you know, at 290 yards and, you know, making them 20 yards wide, that's another one. Putting bunkers out there where, you know, they're, you know, they're at 320, not at, you know, 280. So, I mean, the design features of golf courses have been surpassed by the, the the length that these guys are hitting it. So, you know, it may be for the average player that stands out there and sees a bunker down the right side of a fairway, you know, 260, 70 yards, you know, a little bit, uh, you know, um, difficult to contemplate. But these guys are hitting three woods over it. So. <laughs> they're not even in play anymore. So some architectural changes are going to have to be made to the golf course to put, um, you know, a a bigger factor on guys driving in the fairway.
0: Okay, That's a different game for these guys. Uh, Who are the best guys in the locker room or, like, to be paired with when you were out on the tour?
1: I'd say most guys are. I, I, I used to play a lot of golf with Kenny Perry. We played practice rounds together. I enjoyed playing with him. We had similar, you know, he he hoped that I faded it but I mean I think that with the way that we played the game was quite similar and you know I he had a lot of um, knowledge of all the courses so I kind of liked being around him because he was great to play practice around to get a little bit of insight from so you know I've been asked that question before I like playing with Tiger I mean Tiger was great to play with he was fun to play with and you know you talk about sports out there and you know, he was engaging about talking about the golf course or, you know, different aspects of the game or what was happening that day. So he's he's fun to play with. I think you, you see that when you're on, if you're watching TV, he talks to guys and walks down the fairway chatting with guys. So he was always fun to play with. And, you know, most of the guys on the PJ Tour are, are like that. Okay, cool. Do
0: you, uh, do you miss it?
1: I don't. Uh, no, I mean, I've, you know, Parts of me, I guess. I wish I, I could have stayed healthier longer and um, and competed. And I was on a very, you know, I was on a really good path going in the right direction of all the hard work I put in and, you know, and, and, and got, in the, you know, to the top hundred in the world at one time. And I was in the going in the right direction and then injuries came and, you know, over a period of time of chasing it, I guess, through these injuries and trying to get my game back, it just sort of took away. You know the fire and the passion I had for competing—not necessarily my love of the game, but just the competition part of it. So I don't really miss it. I love what I do now. I love being connected to the game still in different areas, and uh, and still love playing the game. But competing and being—you know—on the road, you know, 30 weeks a year, uh, I don't miss that.
0: Okay. So I got just two more questions for you here. Where where was the like where did the Canadian Open rank in terms of your favorite events to play in? Um, I would say it'd be
1: in my top five. I would say I always loved playing in it. it. You know, I never really liked playing at Glen Abbey, but I mean, I loved coming back to Canada and the support you got from the fans and it felt like your own. Uh, so I, I loved playing the Canadian. I would say it would be in my top five events that you know every year that I played in.
0: What's the best you ever finished there?
1: I think I finished like 13th or something or 15th one year. I can't remember.
0: Okay, so you you were sort of in the hunt though. That must have been cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was a lot of fun.
0: Okay, and you mentioned you, last question here, you mentioned you played with Tiger about 10 times on the tour. Do you have any stories you can share?
1: Uh, not really. I mean, I remember we came back after a rain delay one day, we were playing in Michigan together and we came back to finish our second round and he it was a par five straight away, the 16th hole in uh, in Michigan. I can't remember the name of the course right now, but, um, and he snap hooked at 40 yards out of bounds with his first key shot and he was leading the tournament. And he drove it right next one. he t- hit a second ball, hit it down the middle of the fairway, hit it all on the green, two-putted for a bogey and parked the last two holes. And and it just, it was amazing to me how that shot just didn't matter. And I realized then, I you know, I would hit some bad shots and I would wonder why I hit that bad shot. And am I going to hit another bad shot? And how do I protect against that? And, better, you know, things would go through my mind and none of that seemed to faze him. Um, and it you know he's hit lots of bad shots when I played with him other times, but this one was right out of the gate, and it was so unlike any shot I thought he was going to hit at that particular time. He still went on and won the golf tournament, but um, I was just shocked at how it didn't even phase him that he hit that golf shot and was able to hit the next one like the first one never even existed. If anybody else would have hit that first shot, they either would have hit the same shot over again or they would have hit it a hundred yards to the right, so um, I was impressed just by the way that he was able to dismiss that previous shot he did and carry on.
0: Well that's awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today. Where can people find you? On Twitter? Um yep, yeah, on
1: Twitter at Lego Golf.
0: Okay, awesome. Thank you so much, Ian. I really appreciate you joining. All right. Thanks. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Thank you to Ian for joining me. Some really, really great tiger stories. Um if you're a tiger fan and you heard that, that's gotta get you going, right? That was great. So thanks to Ian for that. I uh, really appreciate it. Moving on. Uh, seems like this is um, where the... Essentially, where the non-golf fans are gonna drop off. The uh, the schedule definitely is... Uh, I mean, it's not... There's no majors left, okay? So... Yes, it's not nice... It's not as nice and exciting as it was when you know you've got Tiger with a chance to get a major, but... The schedule of the rest of the year is actually pretty good. This week, we got the Wyndham Championship, which, not a, not a big tournament. However, it's the last week of the regular season, so any guys on the bubble of the top 125 are trying to get in. I'll get into that a little bit later. but um, So that makes this event reasonably exciting. It's a decent field, kind of a cool course. So there's that, but even if you don't give a shit about that, oh, which, fair enough, um, we got starting next week, we got the PGA Tour playoffs, and that, go, that eliminates players ap- after every week based on their... Points. So the Northern Trust Open next week uh, in New Jersey. We'll start with 125 players. After that, it goes down to 100 players. The following week, the Dell Technologies Championship. That's on Labor Day in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, then they will go the week after that is in Pennsylvania, the BMW Championship. Then they take a week off. Uh, the, the BMW Championship is the top 70 players in ties. And then after that, they cut it once more. Top 30 enter the Tour Championship in Atlanta the second last week of September. And then the winner of the FedEx Cup will get $10 million, of course. But uh, the week after that, September 20th, to 30th, is the Ryder Cup. So we actually have a pretty damn good string of golf coming up here. Okay, so the qualifying for the American side of the 2018 Ryder Cup, that wrapped up on Sunday at the BGS Championship. So the top eight guys will automatically qualify. So that would be Brooks Kepka, Would be number one after his win. And we got uh, DJ, Justin Thomas, Patrick Reed, Jordan Spieth, Ricky Fowler, Bubba Watson, and Webb Simpson. They wrap up the eight. So after that, we got... T- there's two rounds of captain's picks, as I said. So the first, there's a number of guys that are sort of... Within that uh, rankings number, we got... Bryson DeShambo, Phil Mickelson, Matt Kuchar, Tony Finau, Kevin Kistner, Tiger. There's a whole bunch of guys, Xander Shoffley, so um, you can guarantee Tiger and Phil will get to those spots. So really, there's only there's two spots left. Um, I would like to see, it's going to be tough, but I think it's going to be between <sighs> Finau, DeShambo, and Kisner. Shoffley could possibly get himself in there which is going to be interesting to see. Uh, the way the European team works. So their 12-man team, they got four first four players in the European points list, followed by the leading four players in the world's point list, and then they got four wild cards on their side. So their top eight right now is Molinari, Rose, Fleetwood, Hatton, Rom, McIlroy, Poulter, and Norrin. And sitting in nine to 12 right now is Casey, Thorburn, Yolison, Russell Knox, and Rafa Cabreo. Bayo, they'll be uh, hunting for those last spots. There's also a couple of other guys. Henrik Stenson's 16th. Shane Lowry's 19th. Sergio, 23rd. Yeah, that's on the uh, European points. So it's a little bit confusing trying to look at the European team. Um, but suffice to say, that's coming up. A couple weeks till selection time, but the original eight-man squad has been locked. And, yeah, so we'll kind of be checking in on that as the weeks go by. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be really cool. I think there's no doubt that Tiger locked up his spot this week. Uh, He didn't get into that final eight, but he's clearly going to be a a captain's pick. So uh, that'll be good to see, and uh, that'll be in Paris last week of September. All right, this week we got the Wyndham Championship on the PGA Tour. As I mentioned, the top 125 in ties in the... The top 125 in the FedEx points list will move, will be playing in next week's first playoff event. So, if we look at the bubble guys, just to pull that up right now. So right now, if we go to, uh, let's look, 120 to 130. So Sam Saunders, Bud Colley, Johnny Vegas, Seamus Power, Martin Piller, Tyrone Van Asselvegen, Chad Campbell, Robert Garrigus, and then two Canadians, Corey Connors and Nick Taylor. And Tom Lovelady round out, 120 to 130. Those guys are going to be in uh, in tough this week. They're going to have to obviously make the cut and play well. Sergio is at 131. Another Canadian, Ben Silverman at 134. Steve Stricker, 141. Graham McDowell, 143. Thomas Peters, 148. Uh, David Hearn, another Canadian, 156. Mackenzie Hughes, 159. So we got a lot of... Uh, a lot of pretty big names that are, that are hunting still to get into the playoffs. Um, they're going to have to have a good week this week and move themselves up the standings into next week. Let's take a look at uh, what's going on this week. So, Henrik Stenson is defending his title. Uh, they're playing in, where are we got here? Sedgefield Country Club. Uh, it's one of the two original sites of the Greater Greensboro Open, which debuted in 1938. Uh, do-do-do, layout dates back in 1925. The course features small undulating greens and is perennially ranked amongst the top 15 courses in North Carolina. Uh, do, 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 do. So that's pretty cool. That's where the guys will be playing. Field notes, we got Joaquin Neiman, who he's on my list of, I think, he, in my opinion, he's the rookie of the year. I can't think of anyone else topped on my head. Webb Simpson is in the field. Uh, Stenson, as I mentioned, Sergio Garcia, Graham McDowell, Retief Goosen, Jim Furyk, Ryder Cup captain, Davis Love. Um, so we got a we got a number of pretty big names in the field, uh, considering what it is. Uh, but yeah, I mentioned the main the main storyline this week: the chase for the FedEx Cup playoff berths. Uh, a lot of guys right around that bubble; they're going to be trying to get into the playoffs. That is just about it for this week. Thank you for joining me on episode 43 of Teeing Off Podcast. Please give me a follow on Twitter at R-J-M-C-C-U-L-L-O-U-G-H and let me know positive, negatives, anything you want about this podcast or you check out my blogs. I try to post at least one blog a day. And uh, check out my website, teeingoffblog.com. Again, this is episode 43 of Teeing Off Podcast. Thank you for listening. I'm R.J. McCullough.